<clears throat> we're continuing with 1 John and uh, we're at chapter 5. Uh, I've entitled this that you may know that you have eternal life. Which is coming from the, the verse 13 and 14. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know that you have eternal life. As we come to the end of this epistle. John does something similar as he's done in the gospel. He summarizes his purpose. Uh, the purpose of this letter. And I'm, I'm going to go back through the letter. And I'm going to make a particular claim. On the basis of his purpose statement. About what he's been doing in the letter. That we may have missed if we don't get. Oh this was his purpose. Um. The end of the gospel says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the gospel was written for unbelievers, that they might read the testimony of the Son of God, believe in him, to whom this testimony pointed, and then uh, that they would receive life through faith. This letter was written for believers. John's desire for them is not that they may believe and receive, but rather but that having believed, they may know that they have received. A subtle difference. And therefore, on the basis of of this knowing... That they continue to have life. That they continue, I think in a present tense, to have eternal life. And so the know that you may know means both in word, you know, in tense. Not that they may gradually grow in assurance and arrive at knowing. Not that there won't be a growth in assurance. But that they may possess here and now a present certainty of the life they've received in Christ. I think there's great comfort, there's great assurance to be had here. He ends his epistle with a series of statements that if we've been listening to what John is saying, we can know, he says, we can know in verse 15 that he hears us when we pray. We know that we have the requests which we have asked from him, We know that no one is born of God who sins. We know, I'm just repeating, you know, John's use of the word gnosis here, of knowing, because he's contrasting, I think, the idea that as Christians we know certain things, and we know these things then on the basis of who Jesus is. And this is in contrast to the false teachers who are saying, well, they have a secret knowledge. And I think John is saying, well, we know things too, but we know what we know is even better. We know that we are of God, he says in verse 19, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In verse 20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So if we had to you know, say what are the bookends, what are the two... Sides, it would be 1, 4, and 5, 13. These things we write that our joy may be made complete. 
How is your joy made complete? By knowing eternal life. So what is eternal life here? And this is what I'm arguing. <clears throat> is that John has not focused in the epistle like he did on the, in the gospel on the resurrection. But I think the crux of all that he has said depends upon the ax, you know, that the resurrection be axiomatic here. The resurrection is not explicitly brought out, but I think it's in, inherent to the logic. And this is the way we can understand. There's a, an unusual phrase here. John talks about the sin that leads to death. And this is kind of a mystery. You know, anyone who sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will uh, for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. That is, you're to pray for this one. But then he goes on and says, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. I guess you're not even supposed to pray for these people. They must be pretty far gone. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. So, you know, people have asked, what is he talking about here? And what I would say, I don't want to mystify this. I think we can say very clearly what he's talking about. That throughout the, the gospel, there's those born of God, they don't sin and he's linking this back to chapter 3 that it stands in contrast I think to the sin that leads to to death Um, well what is the opposite of that would would be what John is talking about those born of God those who experience eternal life those who experience resurrection life do not sin so that it leads to death The entire epistle is about this deadly sin that these false teachers are promoting. And I hope we're hearing this because I I think that what the false teachers, uh, sometimes we, we make this like it's not so far from us, but this particular false teaching that Christ has not come in the flesh, I think is one that Christians and many forms of Christianity are very much tempted by. So I hope you're, that you're getting this. It's very important that we believe in the embodied Christ. It's very important that we believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. And this is apparently linked to our own salvation. I think this is our conversation this morning, Larry, that as we talk about the resurrected Christ... What we mean that the way in which he saves us, it's in and through his incarnation, it's in and through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, that all of these things together then constitute the salvation, that he's taken up every aspect of our of our life and reconstituted it, recreated it. And so the entire epistle is about the deadly sin that would deny this, that would say that Christ has not come in the flesh. These false teachers do not need the bodily resurrection. This is a teaching that is very common. I hate to say it, it is present uh, up north here in the ministry that is being done there by our churches. That is saying, well, you really don't need the bodily resurrection of Christ. Uh, It's not so important, is it? 
Well, John says it's so important that if you don't believe it, then you're of the Antichrist and you've committed the sin, I think, that leads to death. That is, there is a Christianity, and John is not... You know, these people are among them. These people are in the church. And they're trying to teach, I think, exactly what people are trying to promote in our churches today. That in some way the resurrection of Christ was a spiritual resurrection. That, you know, it was a spiritual ascension. It was not embodied. Um, And if that's the case, you really don't need, you know, if you don't need the resurrection, you really don't need the incarnation. You know, he was just, uh, that's docetism. That Christ really didn't come in the flesh. They do not believe in the work of the incarnation. And that's the very thing that Christ has come to make us righteous. You know that he appeared. Notice the word no. In order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who has seen him or knows him sins. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. I think that there's a dangerous false teaching unleashed in John that's still with us. It's always the same. It's never going to change. And that in in some way they're going to spiritualize this thing and make it so that we really don't need to live it out, you know. We can do that even with communion. Oh, just take your cracker and juice and you'll get magically saved. No, what you need to do is take up the word and walk with it. You need to integrate this word into all of your life. Um, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. This is the, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. The works of the devil required the incarnation of Christ. They required his life, death, and resurrection. So, I think 5.4 is linked to, you know, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. How do you overcome the world? Through faith. And I think it's a very particular faith. It's the faith in the incarnate, resurrected Christ, who is the one who... You know, he's the one who overcomes the world. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the false teachers are denying that Christ came in the flesh. They would deny the bodily resurrection. Why is this important? Why is this so important to John? Well, because the resurrection is the culmination. It's the summation of the incarnation. It makes the embodied Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the ascended Jesus. This is what's being mediated to us, the power of a life, you know, resurrection life now, that we can begin to live this thing out. Uh, it's a fact that we, we can know, John says right now. And we can know that by the same token, and I think we can identify the world is under the power of the evil one, and here is the teaching that would put people under this power. How did it come under the control of the evil one? Uh, and it's precisely in this idea. What is the original sin? You know, in the garden. They believed that life was in themselves, not life in God. In other words, they could partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they did not need the tree of life because 
the life is something that you know Satan says, oh, you won't die. And I think that people believe in innate immortality. They believe in somebody that we have life in ourselves. This is precisely what these false teachers are saying. Life is to be found in this secret knowledge. And so John says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. And he, he quotes you know, this phrase he uses, lust of the flesh. In the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. I believe that's pointing back directly to Genesis. What did they do? You know, Eve begins, they begin to lust after the fruit. She saw that it was desirable. She turned from listening to the word of God to trusting in her sight and trusting then in her own capacities to know. This world, John said, is passing away and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God is the one who lives forever. So those who boast in their life do not have life, but have the sin that leads to death. That's what I'm claiming here, is that we don't need to mystify that the sin that leads to death is to imagine that you have life in yourself. That's the original sin. No life comes from Christ. Resurrection life is synonymous. You know, we can begin to live the resurrection life now. If we say with the false teachers that we already have life in ourselves, that we have some sort of innate immortality. I believe we're committing the original sin that leads to death and not acknowledging that life comes from God. That we base our life on our own lustful, you know, boastful pride of life, that you can attain this life in yourself. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life they have encountered the resurrected Jesus which is taken up in their entire experience with Christ the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim that you too may have fellowship with us in this life that was manifest what is the basis of our fellowship what is the basis of our life it's on the basis of the incarnation the bodily resurrection By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is among us, I think. And we have to be able to point and say, there's the Antichrist, there's the devil. He's going to church, he's preaching right down the road here. He's the teacher right down the road here. Because it's not hard to identify, because what they're, the denial of the bodily resurrection. That's it, that's, that's always, you know, that's the, the difference here. The resurrected Christ who has appeared to the disciples uh, is precisely what the false teachers are They want to get rid of this idea. They want to get rid of the historicity, the need for the historical Jesus. Uh, And what John is emphasizing both in the gospel and the epistle is the historical Christ. He's emphasized the coming of Christ. Uh, I think the false teachers of our day, what do they want to get rid of? They want to get rid of the necessity of the historical Jesus. This is Rudolf Boltman, you know. Oh, it's just the spiritual Jesus. It's just the Jesus in my heart. 
this is with this, you know, don't, you know, at your alma mater, I'm, I'm afraid this is precisely what's being taught. Um, his fundamental claim is that, the, you know, this is uh, Lessing's point. The fundamental truths, uh, uh, of the universal truths of reason cannot be attained through the contingent truths of history. You hear what I just said? That may that's kind of a philosophical idea, but the idea is that we don't come to absolute truth in a kind of modernist understanding on the basis of the historical truths of reason. That's modernity. That's not Christianity. How do we come to the truth? We come to the truth through the person and work of Christ who was born in a particular country, who spoke a particular language, who existed at a particular time. And we believe that absolute truth is to be found in the incarnate Christ. That speaks against every you know, aspect of the modern understanding, the modern Gnosticism, but it also is precisely what these false teachers are denying. John in the Gospel, in, in, in the Epistle, he says in 4.2, Christ has come. He keeps talking about it, this has come. That is, it's a historical event. Uh, in the in the gospel, Jesus came and stood in their midst. 2019, 2024, Jesus came, uh, you know, when Thomas and Didymus uh, was there with them. Uh, in 2026, Jesus came, the doors having, he, he uses this phrase, and it's a kind of a neat Greek phrase that he just repeats again and again, emphasizing the historicity of Jesus. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. The coming of Jesus in John is of key significance. Uh, that his mission is, you know, in, he's, this is in conflict with the Jews, who will not recognize his messianic dignity. They, they don't know where he came from, they say. You both know me and know where I am from, Jesus says, I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom, do you, uh, whom you do not know. You don't know God, because you do not know me. I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. I believe that the Jews are rejecting the historical Jesus before them. I think the false teachers are rejecting the historical Jesus. And the false teachers of today are rejecting the necessity of the historical Jesus. And this is, you know, this is not just theological liberalism, but it's certainly that. When we begin to take apart the, the, the Gospels. He is light and life by nature. The purpose of his coming is to bring life and light. And so the coming of the Johannine Christ has a single goal. The deliverance of the world, the cosmos, from the destruction of alienation from God. He says in chapter 12, If anyone hears my saying and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's come to save the cosmos, is the word that John is using. So the messianic claim of Jesus is, you know, even John the Baptist, he came to testify. Again, the same phrase. He's come, he's come to testify about the light. 
And even the end of the, you know, the last book that we believe John wrote, he says, I am coming quickly. He came, he's come, he's coming, and that's the basis of the faith that we have, the embodied, resurrected Christ. So Jesus has come in the flesh. The basic conflict is, you know, the, is in contrast to these false teachers. They're claiming that, oh, the you ordinary Christians, you don't know properly. You don't have the ecstatic secret knowledge that we have. They're advocating a different kind of knowing. This was the first sin, was to advocate not knowing God, but knowing the knowledge of good and evil. And John's purpose is, he says, this letter is to assure you that you may know that you have eternal life. This is what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but but has passed out of death into life. The Father sent me. He has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen him. You do not have his word abiding in you. You do not believe him who has sent me. You cannot have access to God apart from the historical person and work of Christ. And I think that's the significance of the embodied resurrection. One way of knowing, this kind of knowing based upon ourselves, the kind of, you know, I think, therefore I am, modernist kind of knowing, I think stands in direct contradistinction from the knowing that we have in Scripture. John says this letter is to assure you, and Jesus has already indicated as much, that you may hear, and hearing you may believe, and believing you may live, and living you may know. And so the Christian life is the basis of an alternative knowing. I think it's a hard thing, Christianity. I think it's not an easy thing to come to. But it's the foundation, though, of an alternative knowing. Um, Knowing does not come last, but it comes first. Knowing in their, uh, you know, what the false teachers want to do, there's kind of a four-step thing here. Uh, You may hear, you may believe, you may, and believing you may live, and living you may know. What they want to do, they want to put knowing first, right? How do we know? What is the basis of our knowing? Hearing the word. Believing the word. You know, living out the word. And then that leads to knowing. What the false teachers want to do, they want to put knowing up front. They want some sort of ecstatic experience. They want a kind of believing, you know, seeing kind of knowing. This is not just the false teacher's problem. This is modernity. It's uh, the it's pre-modern. Knowing is the foundation we carry on within on the basis of our own life, you know, is the idea. I think, therefore I am. I know within myself. That's of the Antichrist. Is that too strong? I think that's the, the point here. Christian knowing is on the basis of the resurrected bodily, you know, incarnation. I am the resurrection and the life. Christ Jesus abolished death, Paul says in Timothy, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel was written that you might believe, and now believing provides the basis to know 
that you have eternal life. Let's sing our hymn again.